Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and I have an email address which is letstalkmicro at outlook.com. So either via social media or via email, you can submit any feedback, any suggestions, and please subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and if the app allows you to do so, please go ahead and leave a review. As always, any feedback, any suggestions, they are always welcome and appreciated. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. It was a great collaboration where I joined forces with the Idiots Podcast, which is infectious disease insight of two specialists. So basically, I joined their podcast to talk about laboratory requisitions, talk about orders, what, you know, in the laboratory, what we expect to see in orders, you know, what kind of information do we expect physicians or healthcare providers to share with us? That way, when we are working, you know, working with samples, we don't get exposed to potentially harmful organisms, you know, like brucella and things like that. So we also talked about communication in the lab, you know, that both parts should be, you know, should be receptive to communication, that if we want something specific, you know, we should reach out. And the same thing, you know, if providers, there's something that they're looking for, they should always communicate with the lab. So overall, it was a great episode. It is on both platforms. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. And then go ahead and check out the, the Idiots podcast. You know, Jamin Gollum, they're great. They're two infectious disease physicians. And, you know, their, their podcast is doing really well. They cover a lot of great information. It's always great seeing, you know, from the point of view of the physician, you know, how with the organisms, you know, what kind of treatment, what drugs they use. So it is a great podcast. So I invite you to check it out as well. So prior to that episode, I released one about Molotov. And those of you that have been following the podcast for a while, you know that in 2021, I did a two-part series on Molotov. And recently in October, I did a webinar on Molotov. You know, it is still something that people might not be familiar with it. And sometimes, you know, you get new listeners and they might not be tuning into the old content. They might just be listening to the new episodes. So I thought it would be a good time to jump, jump in and talk about Molotov again. So I did part one where I went ahead and went over the components, you know, how it works, how it helps the lab. So it was a great episode. So if you haven't checked it out, please go ahead and do so. But, you know, just to summarize it real quick before we move on, Molotov stands for Matrix Assisted Laser Desorption Ionization Time of Flight. And it is coupled with MS, which is mass spectrometry. And, you know, the technique uses a laser to excite the chemical functional groups that are included in the proteins of an organism. So you mix this, you mix the sample with a chemical matrix, which uh, the matrix, you know, when the laser is applied, it absorbs energy, transferring heat to the sample proteins and creating ions. And then those ions are separated on a tube that is referred to as the flight tube. So the time of flight and the ions are measuring using a detector. So the lighter the ions, the faster they will travel in the tube. And then a spectrum is created, which is compared to a database of known spectra, 
So those are the components. You know, I talked about some manufacturers, but you do have, you know, your 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 target slide where you put your sample, you add your matrix. I went over formic acid, which depending on the manufacturer, all the samples might be pre-treated with it. Or if not, it can be used for yeast. On the, like in the case of uh, Vitec MS from Biomarium, no affiliation to this podcast. And this is used for the identification of bacteria, like, you know, both aerobic and aerobic fungi. Uh, also for like nocardia, for um, acid fast bacteria, even though nocardia, you know, and molds, you know, they have a, a different uh, procedure to set up the Molotov. But overall, it's a great instrument to use for for the identification of organisms. And I also, in the episode, I also went over the limitations, like not being able to speciate between species of a complex. So if you want to know more about complexes, you know, check out the previous episode. And it also has a hard time when you have like mucoid samples. And in the episode, I talked about how to kind of get around that to make sure that you get an ID. It doesn't always work, but... Most of the time it does. So it is definitely a great instrument for identification. It has a lot of advantages. You know, unfortunately it has brought disadvantages, but it, sometimes, you know, it seems that they're more from like the human side of things. So I'll be talking about that in this episode. So I mentioned, you know, I touched on how the cultures are read in the lab. So I'm going to expand on that. And, and when I say that one of the advantages is that the identification is faster and I'm going to explain why. So when we place a, a, a sample in the Molotov for to get an ID, you know, ideally the the ID is done within minutes. So some things that affect that is like if you fill your your target slide with many samples, then you know either you know the slide is like divided in acquisition, divided in acquisitions, and until all the organisms on that acquisition are not done, then the ID is not going to cross over. So a lot of times, you know, if you have a if you have a full slide and your sample is the last one, you know, in all theory, you can get, in all likelihood, you can get your ID done in, in one hour, which is still a lot faster than traditional methods. So let's go ahead and talk about those methods and compare them to the Molotov. So with traditional methods of identification, and this is where we correlate, um, you know, faster IDs and time, because, you know, I'm going to talk about anaerobes, I'm going to talk about yeast, and I'm going to talk about some organisms like Aerococcus and Staph saprophyticus. So let's go ahead and talk about anaerobes. So in the lab, other traditional methods like maybe the Vitec, or if you have one of those like four-hour rapid anaerobic test, so the Vitec can take, you know, like 18 to 24 hours, and then that four-hour test, you know, like it says, takes four hours. So just on the basis of time alone, Molotov, it's, it's faster. Um, and then some other challenges with the four-hour test, you know, depending on, on the training. And, and I touch on this, like not everyone is trained in all the areas. So maybe you have to set it up in the morning so you can read it up, you know, read it at lunchtime. If not, maybe if don't want to strain, you might have to stay a little bit later. So that's a challenge right there. But when, with, you know, with time, it's like the one thing that you tie together with the Molotov is that the fact that it needs less sample. So with that anaerobe test, you will need a heavy suspension. You know, it's like a it's very high McFarlane. 
So for that, you either need to subculture your organism, which then you have to wait a day, you know, possibly two, so you can get that suspension. Whereas with the Molotov, you know, one or two colonies is enough to get an ID. So if you're reading traditional cultures, you see something that maybe is growing on your shaler's plate, you know, your KV plate, you go ahead and, you know, you do a gram study, it's a gram negative run, you know that there are bacteria that are facultative anaerobes, so then you have to go ahead and do what is called an error tolerance test, where you grab that colony, you sub it to a chocolate plate, you sub it to a blood plate, you incubate that chocolate aerobically, and then you incubate that blood plate anaerobically, and then the next day you have enough sample to produce that high McFarlane. So you have time, so the whole thing, you know, it can take one or two days by the time you set up the test. And then if you're setting something like the Vitek, you know, another 18 hours. So you have three days where you're working with the sample. Whereas if you have Multitoff, you open that anaerobic agar plate, you look at it, you can put your colonies on the Molotov, an ID is produced. If it's an anaerobe, you correlate it with the morphology and biochemicals, and then you can go ahead and release the ID, and that's it. And since typically, you know, anaerobes are uh, susceptibilities are not performed on anaerobes in most, you know, hospitals. So by the time you produce that ID, you are definitely done. So faster ID and time. And then you have yeast. So yeast is pretty much the same similar story where you don't do susceptibilities for it unless it's like a sterile body fluid, you know, it's like a blood culture, cerebrospinal fluid. So all you have to do is provide an identification. And that works the same way. If you're going to do a method like another method like the Vitek, let's say, you need a high McFarland standard. And sometimes, you know, some of the yeast, they might not grow healthy on the blood. Sometimes, you know, like Candida glabrata, it might be like a little pinpointy, grow it on the blood plate. So you might have to sub it. Or you might have, you know, some colonies mixed with other organisms, like some gram negatives, gram positives. So then you might have to sub it out, you know, subculture it to a, maybe like a chromacher or some sort of fungal agar. And then you have to incubate for another day. And then you set up the sample which takes about 18 hours on some of those other methods. So there you go, you have two days. Whereas if you see your colonies on your agar, you know, you do a gram stain, you see that it's a yeast, you can go ahead and place it on your Molotov, you get an ID with the minutes or depending on how many samples are going in. So, you know, it can take a little bit longer, but basically within a couple of hours, you can have that ID, you can finalize that culture, that's all that's holding it. So you don't need to go through that process. So we have two examples of organisms that on traditional methods, you know, it takes longer because of the heavy McFarland that you need to set up that test. And then if you don't have that, to achieve that heavy McFarland, you need many colonies. And if you don't have that, you know, um, then you have to subculture it and you know, you have to grow it. So it takes 18 to 24 hours depending on how late, late in the day you set it up. And those of you that read plates, you know that happens sometimes, you know, your first shift, let's say, only are the only ones that read wound cultures. 
and here you are doing your error tolerance test at 3 p.m., well, when you come in at 6 a.m. the next day, you're not going to have enough growth and your colonies are not going to be ready. So you're going to be potentially holding those plates for another day and then set up the test and then wait those 18 hours or four hours, depending on, on what, what test you're using with the anaerobes. So you see how with these examples, Molotov saves time. So going down the line of where organisms don't need susceptibilities and, and typically they don't. And uh, like I said, with the anaerobes, if you're in a hospital, more than likely you don't do susceptibilities with yeast only if it's body fluids, bloods, cerebrospinal fluid. Typically, I mean, you can get up on some requests to perform them on other sources, but that's not how it typically goes. So going down that same line, I mentioned Aerococcus urinae and Staphylococcus saprophyticus. So, with those, the test, you know, the ID itself, it doesn't take longer. It doesn't take those 18 hours, but there's a process to it. So, let's go ahead and start with Staphylococcus saprophyticus. So, those of you that are either on an MLS program or you're working in micro, you know that Staphylococcus saprophyticus, Staph sapro, as we say it, it is seen in urinary tract infections in, in young females. So that's something that when we have that specific patient population, we need to be looking out for it. We need to rule it out. So if we have a coagulase negative Staphylococcus, we need to perform an ID to rule out Staphylococcus saprophyticus. And typically on the urine bench, uh, you don't do susceptibilities on it. So all you have to do is identify it. And Staph sapro, the colonies, are, they're very white. And that is a distinctive feature for them, and they are non-hemolytic. And keep in mind when I'm talking about Staph sapro and, uh, and also Aerococcus urinae. So with those two organisms, you know, we tie the factor of, yes, it's a faster ID, and we save time, and at the same time, we save supplies. Because with Staphylococcus saprophyticus, we typically don't do susceptibilities on the urine bench. So all you have to do is identify it. But let's say maybe if you're a little bit inexperienced and you're not sure if that is a staff sapper or not, um, you set up the ID, but at the same time, in case you're wrong, you might set up susceptibilities. So then you couple that with the fact that maybe not everyone is trained on reading plates. So when you come the next day, then you read the cultures, you know, maybe they're only read on first shift. So when you return, you read it and then it turns out that it was staff sapper. So you kind of wasted a susceptibility card because you didn't need to on that particular bench. So that's something that, you know, you kept that on a traditional method, you had to wait until the next day. And that's kind of the same um, thing that happens with Aerococcus urinae, which is a gram-positive cocci in clusters that is alpha-hemolytic and it is seen in, in urinary tract infections in elderly patients. And that's something that if you're working on urines and you have an elderly patient, you need to rule out. And traditionally, right, you're, maybe you're doing a wet mount to kind of see if you can see the clusters. It can be a little hard to appreciate. But in a place where you don't have Molotov, you go ahead and set up an ID. And then you wait until the next day, maybe no one is reading it, to find out what it is. So it's, it's also a matter of, of time. Um, since it doesn't need susceptibilities, typically you don't do that in the lab unless they request it. 
So with Molotov, if you have something that looks like Saprophyticus, if you have something that looks like Aerococcus urinae, you put it on the Molotov, you get that ID, and then susceptibilities are not needed, then you are done. You can finalize that culture, and you can move on to other cultures and, and maximize the use of your time. But if that's not the case, and you're maybe, you know, you know if you don't have Molotov and you have to set it up on a traditional method, then pretty much, you know, you're holding that culture for another day, provided that no one is reading on the next shift. Or if for some reason, let's say that it, you set up that ID and it terminates, and then someone goes ahead and reset another one. So that's something to keep in mind. So definitely when it comes to all, this, all these organisms, mold saves time and supplies because as I mentioned before, you don't need that many colonies to perform an ID. So you don't have to go through that process of subculturing and, and waiting the next day for the organism to grow. So that is definitely a plus. And as I'm going over supplies, you think about that a lot of this traditional identification panels, you have maybe one card, one test for gram negatives, one for gram positive, one for anaerobes, one for yeast. So you keep all those supplies. And then uh, when it comes to the Molotov, all you need is, right, your matrix, your target slides, your formic acid. So you don't have to purchase all these different testing cards that, you know, they take space and, and, and it's interesting, you know, in places where like in my facility that we use Molotov, a lot of times, you know, we barely use those other cards and then, you know, they either expire or, we, you know, we have to dispose of them. On the other hand, if Molotov goes down, it's kind of interesting of how quickly we go through those supplies. But overall, all the IDs can be produced in one place with Molotov, whereas with traditional methods, you have a variety of tests for all the different organisms. So now that we have gone over time, supplies, there is another advantage. That's definitely a very, that's a very positive one. And it is the fact that our knowledge increases so much more because we have now with this database that produces all this number of identifications, then, you know, we are kind of, well, we're supposed to, right? If you get like a weird ID, then we do a research on the organism and then we learn more about them. So that is definitely a plus, you know, the, the database with the, the number of organisms is so much higher with Molotov. And as you know, with traditional methods is more limited. So in a regular, in a regular setting where you don't have Molotov, and let's say that you are unable to identify that organism and you cannot make some sort of uh, decision or of releasing it with some sort of a presumptive ID, then you have to send that sample out and that adds to the to the process of time right it takes time for that sample to get there you know the the reference lab they have specific criteria on what kind of samples to send so maybe you have to sub it out to a slide to a slant and then incubate that slant and then send it so the whole thing can take you know five six seven days and then maybe by then you're, well, you're working on something else and you don't even follow up your work so you don't get to see what it was. So you kind of stay in that state where you're not adding a lot more to your professional knowledge. 
Whereas with Molotov, you're there the same day, you're putting that sample there, you get that ID, you know, you do your research, look at your resources, and determine, okay, this ID matches what I'm seeing here, so let's go ahead and release it, right? Provided that it's, that it's it doesn't give you like some sort of non-validated code. So you're definitely growing professionally, you're adding to that knowledge of microbiology, and then the next time that maybe you, someone else sees that organism, since you have seen it and you have learned about it, you can go ahead and show that person, yeah, that makes sense. I've seen this. I research it. I study it. So let's go ahead and accept that ID. So overall, a lot of wonderful advantages that come with this instrument, with this technology, um, a lot of pluses. And as I mentioned before, unfortunately, uh, some disadvantages you know, are seen as well. And they tend to be more towards the, the, the human side of it. And let me tell you about this. When we think about your traditional workflow, where you're working organisms, right? You're using, on a traditional method, you don't find out what the ID is maybe until the next day. So you're doing biochemicals, you're placing it on that instrument, you're doing that test, and then the next day you find out, and then, okay, I'm seeing this ID, I'm correlating, you know, with the morphology, biochemicals, that makes sense, and then you're adding that to your professional knowledge. But my point with this is that one thing that as a good microbiologist, what you should be, be doing is that when you're placing an organism on an instrument for identification, you should have a pretty good idea of what it is, right? You're trying to confirm it. And this is done from a place where you see the organisms over and over again. You do biochemicals, you check your resources, you get familiar with them, and repetition, you find out what that idea is the next time, and you start building that, you know, mental, internal database. And that's how you grow as a microbiologist, repetition and knowledge. So with enough of that, you know, if you do it many times, you get to the point where you're like, okay, I know what this is. I'm just going to prove it. And that's the way that it works with the traditional approach because we had no way of finding out what it was potentially until the next day. And that has changed with Molitov uh, because since we are getting the answer right away, and this is not everyone. There's a lot of people that are, you know, they're, they're educating themselves, they're doing the work, they're learning, they're striving to become better. But it has brought a, a potential of laziness. And some techs, you know, might not be doing biochemicals. It's like, you know, why do them? We're going to have the answer. And that, in my opinion, that's something very dangerous because, as I said, doing biochemicals, correlating that with morphology is very important. That way you know, right? If you get a suspicious ID, you are able to question it because you have built enough knowledge where you can say, okay, this doesn't look like this. I need to investigate further. But with Molotov, you get sometimes, you know, text, they're placing the IDs there. They're, they're placing the organism for the ID and then they accept the ID and they have not worked with biochemicals. So how do you know that that ID correlates with that organism? Or maybe you do, 
but someone else is accepting your molly you know that's that's a very common practice in, in large settings where maybe you have someone helping you out with setting up your MALDI, perhaps with accepting your, your results. So maybe that person is just like, maybe that person doesn't do biochemicals either. Maybe they just accept IDs. They haven't done enough repetition. So you see the potential for error there. Maybe you're not sure. You put the, the organism on the MALDI. You accept that ID would have been sure, or maybe you put it on the MALDI and someone else accepts that ID, or someone else sets up the sample on the MALDI top without understanding, without knowing fully what colony it is that you're trying to identify. So there's a huge potential for error there. And as you know, er errors in, in, in clinical micro that translate to potentially harming the patients, then that's unacceptable. So we need to do biochemicals, even though we're getting the answer, we need to do biochemicals, we need to correlate that with morphology. So we get comfortable enough where we can get an ID from the MALDI and say, okay, this makes sense. And if it doesn't, I need to do the research. But we cannot just set something up there and then we don't know what it is. And then we accept it like that because we haven't done correlation with biochemicals and morphology. Or someone else is in the same boat and they're not quite sure. They set it up. And then since you don't know, you go ahead and accept that ID. So that's a big no-no. But unfortunately, it's something that's happening and we need to correct right away. So if you're working in a facility, encourage people to use biochemicals. And try to reduce that practice of just putting everything on the MALDI. You know, sometimes you start putting organisms in there, getting all these IDs, and it's always good to take a look at the full picture. If something is mixed, maybe sub-organisms out. You know, hold it one day, and then the next day you're looking at the complete picture, and then you decide, okay, this is pathogenic, this is flora, and then move on from there. But don't put yourselves in a position where you can potentially harm someone. And another thing that I have noticed is that sometimes, and that goes with setting up things on the Molotov, like over-relying on it. I have seen sometimes you know, that people just place it on the Molotov three, four, five times until they get an ID. And a lot of times they haven't even done a gram stain. They haven't done a wet mount. Sometimes, you know, by doing a quick wet mount or grab stain, depending on the source, right, you can see things like, like coronibacterium, like lactobacillus that you can just potentially just stop working it and call it, you know, normal flora. But if you don't do that, and then you're putting it on the moldy three or four times, you're delaying patient care and you are wasting supplies. So I have seen that and that's just not acceptable. And also sometimes, you know, I have seen where people set up, like I, I talked about the Vitec MS, where you have a procedure for yeast and one for bacteria. And sometimes people might set both of them at the same time, just to see what happens. And that is unacceptable practice. So don't be that person. Always use your biochemicals, use your gram stain. It can save you time. It points you in the right direction. And most important of all, it prevents you from potentially harming someone, which in this field is unacceptable. So overall, with advantages, you know, faster IDs, safe supplies, 
save time and with disadvantages some people are just over relying on it and maybe not building that knowledge that as we know it's very critical in this profession because I, I, I say it over and over again you become a good microbiologist a great one out of a place of educating yourself and repetition and if you're putting things on instruments without doing all the proper work that's not taking you anywhere and remember that sample that you have that could be your mom your dad your sibling it could be a family member so keep that in mind our work you know affects the patients you know it dictates it really guides the physician or the healthcare provider in the right direction for treatment so please don't over rely on it use it the way that it was intended for as a as an aid in our identification of organisms so we can give that to the provider and the patient can be properly treated And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about the advantages and disadvantages of Molditoff MS. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. And stay tuned, you know, great things coming your way. I'm always working on some good episodes. I appreciate the support. If you like Let's Talk Micro, please let someone else know. Continue downloading episodes. I appreciate the support. As always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important you do such great work. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.